Hello, welcome to episode three. Three? Three. Episode three of The Leftovers. It's, it's, it's been a journey. It's been very exciting. It's been good, it's been challenging. We've been learning alongside you um, in various ways. You might notice a different setup, different lighting. We've got new lights that are above us, shining away from us, because that's better somehow. Um, we've got a new uh, panelist, a new guest, a new person here. Podder. New podder. I like that. We are the, <laughs> we'll have various podders on with us. Yes, episode three. If you haven't listened to the other two or watched the other two, go do that. Also, if you haven't listened to our sermon from yesterday, Sunday, whenever you're listening to this, go check that out. It is on our website currently. This is Monday morning. It's on the website, so I have no excuse not to listen to it. Um, the reason we have a new podder is that um, Dave was preaching yesterday. Who are you? I'm Dave. I've uh, been part of uh, the church here for not not very long at all really been I think we first came along uh, almost a year ago yeah and uh, we've been loving it yeah it's been a, a real joy to to get involved here and yeah been loving this series on, on Genesis so it's been yeah it's been really good to get stuck in we were this isn't on your sermon at all uh, but it re- relates to you coming because I remember us meeting at the conference it was October mm-hmm. and me getting a very random text or a call from you at home asking if we had some office space. Mm. I remember that. <laughs> and uh, that's when you started coming down, which is very that's exciting. Fantastic. And since then, uh, yeah. you and the family have been, the, been part of the family, really got embedded in, which has been uh, very exciting. Mm. It's very cool to have you guys with us. Mm. Um, yes, so uh, this whole thing is kind of Dave's idea. So the, the, the name is copyrighted today, <laughs> The Leftovers. And this next idea is also Dave's idea, so I thought he would be the, the, the oh, perfect yeah. person to try it out <laughs> for the first time. Um, this is our one-minute message. So Dave is going to summarise his 47-minute sermon into a minute. Okay, are we timing this? Uh, I can watch? time okay, that's a good idea, actually. Otherwise, I'll, I'll go for another 47 minutes. <laughs> okay, ready? Three. All right, let's do it. Two, one. Okay, so we're in Genesis 3, and we were looking at how Genesis 3 really explains the world today as we see it, and how we are, what people are like, and uh, creation and fall are just essential for understanding how things are, because we all agree the world's not right as it is, what went wrong, and Genesis 3 really shows us the answer to that, so what happened in it, it's it's historical, this isn't figurative, it's not a metaphor, it's not a myth. Uh, but what we see in Genesis 3 is the reality, the reality of, of Satan, the devil, being a real uh, being, a real person, tempting the first man or woman into sin. And we see the reality of sin, so Eve and Adam uh, sin, and we look at what sin is, and, and then we look at the consequences of sin, uh, how it affects humanity, it affects creation, the whole of nature, it's the reason we've got natural disasters, it's the reason death and sickness in the world. And, uh, but the, the, the chapter finishes with hope, a prophecy of the Messiah who's going to save them. Oh, one minute. Nine and nine, point nine seconds. Point there nine. you go. Okay, point you zero can see nine. that, point zero yeah, nine. Okay. Very impressive, well done. Um, again, if you haven't heard the full sermon, do go check it out. Um, and we're going to dive into what was left over right now. Mm. And there were, the, there were a few throwaway comments that you made mm-hmm. um, during the sermon. Uh, during the the amount of time that I heard. Mm -hmm. And the first one I want to talk about is um, 
Adam sinned before mm. Eve. Now you you said yesterday that that might be quite a controversial comment. I understand why it could be, mm. because we often think as the fall, we often think of the fall as being Adam, Adam, Eve taking that first bite, mm-hmm. or at least accepting the fruit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you're you're taking it a step mm. earlier. Mm. Now I don't believe mm. you're an expert on Genesis <laughs> or the fall, but please mm. please do go into that a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, Traditionally, people would say the moment of eating the apple, or well, not apple, fruit, whatever it was, we don't know, it could have been a pomegranate, we don't know what the fruit was, but that being the moment humanity fell. Um, but what's quite interesting, we see it in verse 6, is that Adam was actually with Eve this whole time. So whilst she was being tempted, whilst the serpent was lying to her and whatever, um, he was just there, passively, doing nothing. And so we were looking at the fact that Adam was created first, he was given the command, he was charged with the job of overseeing the garden and creation, and naming the animals and whatever else. Um, he was ultimately responsible, it was his job. Uh, and then Eve was, was created out of his rib and, uh, and you know, there's, there's that equality and dignity made in the image of God, but he's ultimately responsible as the head, as the husband. And, um, and, and yet there he was, physically present, but spiritually as well, morally, um, totally absent. So I would say that actually he had already failed in his duty um, by being so passive and just leaving Eve to, to, the, to the temptation of the serpent. So there was a kind of a sin of omission, you could say there. Um, because, you know, nothing in, nothing in Scripture is there by mistake, right? So we've got this little phrase, who was with her? That, for me, changes everything. If he hadn't been there, you know, if she had gone off on her own, then perhaps Perhaps we couldn't say the same thing, but the fact he was there, saw it all, did nothing. I think he's he's failed. Yeah, I watched something when prepping for. When was I prepping for? It may have popped up on my YouTube of a, a an animation of the fall, and it was mm-hmm. Eve accepting the fruit, and then it cuts to Adam, mm-hmm. who looks at Eve from a distance and mm-hmm. starts sprinting towards <laughs> her, and this just contradicts mm-hmm, that entirely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. We don't see that mentioned anywhere so was is there a reason that popped in during your prepping or is it something that jumped out at you it was just that phrase it was who was with her it was that phrase that struck me and, and of course you know some of this you could say is you know i can't say exactly you know what was he there right from the beginning of the passage did he come along a bit later you know i can't say for sure but it's that phrase who was with her that i think is key and it also I, I i was trying to figure out what it you know again nothing is insignificant in scripture so why is it that satan went for the woman and not for the man because clearly his ultimate goal was to get to adam because by going to adam he gets the whole human race but he went through eve and i think that's quite interesting that he went about things in that order so i think and you know and and male and female is such a key theme that we see uh in genesis 2 for example um but also genesis 1 that um it's such a key part of god's design um and it's such an intricate beautiful thing, um, but as we see in Genesis 3, it got badly um, marred by the fall. And so now what we think of as gender distinction, we, we have to distinguish between design and distortion. So some of that is God's design, but other elements might be actually part of the fall, because part of the curse that's pronounced is to Eve, uh, you, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. So there's a kind of, there's the wrong version of male-female distinction but it's also the right version. And Satan 
really wants to exploit that whole area and try and turn male and female against each other and, and it, you know, turn the whole thing upside down. And so I, I, I was, although many perhaps would say Genesis 3, the theme is not male and female, it's not gender, it's, it's the fall, and it is the fall, but I think gender is such a key theme, and of course, especially in our day. So I think I was just quite interested in the, the dynamic between Adam and Eve, which is you know, perhaps slightly background, uh, but as we kind of read between the lines, we can see there's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and, and culture has said, or at least churches that have given into the culture around them would have said, well, Adam wasn't responsible for Eve, so it, it is Eve's fault. Mm-hmm. Or it would flip the other way. Adam was completely responsible yeah. for Eve. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where would you come on that male-female mm-hmm. distinction? Yeah, that's a great question, because I think what we see in, you know, I think nowadays when you talk about who's in charge or who's the head or whatever, we have a totally wrong conception of the whole thing. So we think of power as being something that's for me, right? If I'm, if I'm in charge, if I'm powerful, that's, that means I can sue myself. I can get what I want. Other people do menial tasks. I get all the benefits. But that's not at all what godly, Christ-like so, so your headship is, is, is meant to be. So, so it's really interesting when you think about the difference between responsibility and blame. Because um, Adam tries to blame Eve, and then Eve blames the serpent. There's this blame game going on. Um, and that's the very opposite to me of, of, of what, um, to what headship's meant to be. I think it's about responsibility. Now, the thing about responsibility is it, you can have um, different levels of responsibility. So, so as husband, as father in my family, I have an especial responsibility, but each individual is also individually responsible for God. Um, and I think that's what we see here in Genesis 3 is that where Adam was meant to be responsible, and Eve also is responsible for her actions, um, what happens instead is this almost this individualism sprouts yeah. up right there near the beginning in Genesis 3, such that Eve is thinking about she wants to be like God, and Adam's kind of, well, it's nothing to do with me, but then he gets involved, and then he gets held to account by God, but then he blames Eve, and, and so there's this real separation, and I think responsibility, biblically, is about, yes, individual responsibility, but that doesn't take away from, you know, corporate responsibility, headship responsibility. And so I think when we move away from the paradigm of blame um, and we think more in terms of responsibility, I think we're getting a bit closer to what, what the Bible's talking about. Yeah, you, great explanation. Um, you use the word headship. Now that's not a word that is used very commonly in, in well, in, in my experience of other churches. Mm. Can you just go into that slightly? Yeah. yeah, so I think it's an interesting thing because the word head these days has become almost synonymous with CEO or director or boss, you know, so it has a very kind of corporate um, or even military or, you know, or head of state, you know, it has a kind of a very heavily institutional vibe to it. What's quite interesting is biblically, for example, we see it in Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, um, of all the words that could be used for a kind of leader figure, for want of a better generic term, uh, it's quite an interesting one because there is this organic connection where the head and the body are interdependent. And yes, the, the head is, is, is leading, um, but you know, it's not, you know, whereas a, a word could have been used like king or master or whatever, use a kind of slave master sort of paradigm it's not it's this organic 
interconnectedness um, to the point of saying actually, and we get this even in, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, this idea of them being one flesh, you know, almost as if it's one body. So again, the whole idea of you know what's in it for me, or who's in charge, or who gets to who has to do the, the bad jobs, and who who gets all the privileges, it's just not the biblical idea at all. But rather, headship, I think, is about responsibility, it's about care, it's about helping the body to be healthy and flourish. So um, I mean, husbandry is an old term, is about gardening, isn't it? It's about helping things to flourish and, and be nurtured into fullness. So. I think that headship is, it should be seen in terms of how do I best look after that which I'm responsible for, help it to flourish and be free. It's not about domineering, it's not about getting what I want, it's actually about being responsible. In a sense, the buck stops with me, ultimately, um, and how can I help um, her, in the instance of, of marriage, to flourish and, and be the fullness and be be liberated to do all that God would have her do. So it's it's a very different idea from an institutional boss. Yeah. It's different. Uh, it's it's different from leadership, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it includes some of those. Yeah. yeah. It also brings in relationship yeah. to yeah. to that title. Mm. Mm. One thing that jumps out at me, and one question that I've had, probably since I was about five, and maybe first heard this story. Mm. Um, why a serpent? Mm. What what's happening there? Mm. That it's not. Mm. We understand it's not just imagery, it's not just an example, it's not just mm. poetry. Mm. You mentioned, and you were quite strong on this in your sermon, this is history, this mm. happened. Mm. He's the God of history, not just the God of mm. story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's happening with the yeah. serpent? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure I, I know really. I mean, it's, it's interesting that um, uh, the serpent's identified here almost as, as, as one of the wild animals that yeah. God has made, but he's the, the craftiest. Now... I think when you take this in with with other references to Satan throughout Scripture, we do see Satan sort of appearing in various guises. Now, it seems that um, Satan likes to appear um, like other things you're familiar with, if I can put it that way, or things that you might trust, or he kind of wrong foots you. So we know that he's described as an angel of light. He masquerades as an angel of light. So sometimes he'll appear to be a good angel. Um, Here, he's a serpent. Um, but I think also satanic uh, temptation can come, whether he appears in a physical form. Uh, we know that, of course, we get wolves in sheep's clothing, so wolves that appear like sheep. Um, and we even see um, Satan described as a lion, you know, and yet we've got the lion of Judah, we've got you know, Jesus is described as a lion. So he is prepared, it seems, to disguise himself either as good spiritual beings or as just people, uh, even Christians, or in this case, um, animals. So I can only speculate, but I think it's something to do with, um, you know, he doesn't appear in broad daylight as himself. He tends to, it seems, uh, disguise himself as something to, to take you off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you think. I, it's, it's, it, we're not told really how the serpent ended up in the garden. We're not really told, um, you know, whether this is his default form or it's just you know i don't know i don't know i suppose if we're not told we don't need to know in, in, yeah, in some yeah. in some ways yeah. um, another thing that jumped out to me sorry to, to mm. move straight on is mm. and this literally just jumped out to me now mm-hmm. is that eve isn't named until after yeah the sin yeah this is interesting isn't it it is yeah so this is something i i, I didn't have time to go into yesterday but sorry. um this is what the leftovers are for <laughs> um so 
it's interesting that in Genesis 2, um, the man, Adam, names all the animals, right? And then verse 23, once Eve has been formed out of his rib, um, he bursts into almost a song, it seems. It's kind of po- there's kind of poetic, there's a poetic sort of exclamation. Uh, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, um, she shall be called. Some people would say that wasn't actually Adam himself naming her. It's not saying I name her woman, but just she shall be called woman. So some would say even that he didn't name her in the way that he named the animals. He just acknowledged her. Because what's interesting is in, in Genesis 2, the word woman there in Hebrew is Isha, and the, the word man in verse uh, 23 is Ish. So it, it's basically like how, you know, in English we have E-double-S at the end of a word. It's like shepherd, shepherdess. You know, it's kind of, there's a, a real sense of, they're the same here. You know, it's kind of two peas in a pod sort of thing. Which is what you see with Adam saying, bone of my bone. Exactly, exactly. So it seems to me the emphasis in 23 of, of chapter 2 is identity. You know, not the same, but as in, you know, one flesh. You know, like shepherd, shepherdess. Man, maness, as it were, in Hebrew, woman. But then it's after the fall that Adam names his wife Eve. And uh, Eve seems to be, you know, uh, a word that means something like living or living things, whatever, because she be mother of all the living. Now, again, maybe this is speculation, maybe it's pushing something too far, but I wonder if there's something significant here in, the, in Genesis 2, the, the terminology is very much about closeness and identity, but in Genesis 3, um, there's almost a kind of distancing in the names, you know, this is her, this is her job, this is what she does, and that's what she'll be called. Now, I'm not for a minute suggesting that, you know, motherhood is, is a, you know, a lowly task or a kind of an alienating task or, or a part of the fall. It clearly isn't. It's right there in Genesis 1, in Genesis, uh, yeah, Genesis 1 in particular, you know, be fruitful and increase, you know, why was it not good for man to be alone, at least in part, because he couldn't multiply and fill the earth. So, you know, it's a high calling, absolutely. But it's just interesting that the naming in Genesis 3 seems to be potentially a mark of distance, difference, um, even you could say stereotyping. I don't know. I don't want to push that too far. But It does come after verse 15, which says, I'll yeah. put enmity between you and the woman. Yeah. And so I don't think what you're saying is a million miles mm. from mm. its significance. Mm. It, uh, mm. That did really jump out at me that before mm. sin, he must have just been saying, I don't know, I don't want to speculate, but woman or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's an interesting thing about naming, isn't it? Because naming is, it's like any category almost. You know, it, it's necessary in a sense, but it also can box yeah. people or things or, 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 or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to think of, yeah, a time before there was that sort of, I don't know, that, yeah. This is a silly question. I hope you're ready for it. There is always one. Why haven't we found Eden? Mm. Well, now we've got, we've got localities, we've got mm. um, uh, points, geographical points that we can refer mm. to. So Euphrates, Tigris, mm. Mm. the other rivers. Um, we've got uh, a cherubim place to the east. So mm. there's clearly mm. geographical directions. Mm. Mm. This is clearly all just for the fun of it, speculation. <laughs> Is it Wales? Well, is it well? 
it, you know, I think uh, whenever you watch a, a program about anything in the world, it's always compared to the size of whales. Um, so I'm sure Eden has a sort of whales unit measurement. Um, but uh, I would be interested to see what um, this Sunday's preacher is going to say about the flood, because I think possibly Eden was, was there, was intact, but guarded by the cherubim up until the flood. We know that the flood covered the whole earth. Mm. So there was total obliteration of all, all living things and so on. So, so possibly it was there in that guarded form until the flood, but then no longer. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. As I say, it, is, it seems possible to identify where it is, roughly speaking, with these rivers and so on. And I'm sure people have tried. Um, but um, no, I can't say much more than that. I, I, um, I nominate whoever's preaching this Sunday. Great. So Claire, <laughs> um, dive into Eden. Um, what, what I also forget with Eden is that it wasn't just outside of Eden that was affected by sin. Eden was also affected hmm. by that. Would I be correct in saying that? Well, or was Eden this kind of speci special kind of, what's the word? Not utopia, because you mm, mm. Yeah, you, you, you see yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I'm not sure it's ever so clear from the passage. It seems that in some way it is maybe safeguarded from the general curse because there is this banishment from the garden mm. uh, and the tree of life is still there, it seems. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it seems that maybe in some way it was sheltered from, from the general curse. Otherwise, presumably, they wouldn't have to leave it if just even the garden was cursed. But I wonder whether, and yeah, I don't know, I haven't looked into this enough, um, but, you know, it seems that later in Scripture we see some of the imagery, I mean, certainly some of this imagery is picked up in Revelation and used of, you know, of the new heavens, new earth, and, and the city of God and... Um, the New Jerusalem and so on, so, you know, the, the, the rivers, the trees, you know, in Ezekiel as well, you know, similar imagery. So perhaps the, perhaps the, the, the purity, if you want, the, the unspoiledness of Eden is, is preserved as a sort of picture um, for really what is a return to the garden. I mean, that's mm. one way of thinking about uh, the great redemption narrative is that it is a return to the garden and, and legitimate access to the tree of life. And so that brings into question the the flood covering mm. Eden, doesn't mm. it? Because with yeah. the yeah, I mean, mm. like you said, mm. Claire, if you're uh, <laughs> if you're thinking if you're stuck for subjects to yep. to, to to dive into or to leave for next week's episode, mm. um, do look into that. Mm. Um, this is also the first time we see sweat in the Bible mm -hmm. for a little mm -hmm. little passing <laughs> comment for you. Is it part of the fall? Is, yeah. is sweat sinful? <laughs> is it sinful to sweat only on the Sabbath? Um, is there anything else that you, you wanted to go into on Sunday but mm. didn't have the chance? This, this, is your, yeah. this is your opportunity to. Well, while, whilst we're on the, the garden and the, and the tree of life, I was interested, but towards the end of the passage, you know, the fact that um, yeah, the Lord says, sort of ponders aloud almost, you know, now the man has become like one of us, you know, we can't let him eat from the tree of life, otherwise he'll live forever. And I kind of, I was puzzling over that. Why, why is that? What, what would be the problem? Why this sudden action, almost like urgent action, we must get him out of here. We can't have him eat, eat from the tree of life. And I was, I was, I was, I think, persuaded by some of the stuff I read from some other, other guys on this, that actually, if Adam were to reach out and eat from the tree of life, in his sinful state, it seems from the text that he would indeed live forever, but forever alienated from God, 
forever in this cursed state. Um, and that would be no redemption at all, actually. Um, indeed, it would be, well, I mean, it's, it's something that never happened and never will, but it's almost like an eternal, almost like a hellish state because he's, he's cursed and can never get back to God, and yet he's living forever. It seems that perhaps um, the curse of death had to be allowed to stand so that Jesus could enter into humanity and take that curse of death, to take, taste death for us, and by doing so, deal with sin and bring about our redemption. So if Adam had taken, ironically, if he had taken fruit from the tree of life, perhaps redemption never would have been possible because Jesus couldn't have died for our sins because death, death would That raises so many <laughs> questions yeah. um, about things like, is there a stone too big? Can God make a stone yeah, too big? Yeah, I know, I know. It's kind of, yeah. That he can't lift. I know. Um, is there a, was, could there have been a situation where mm. we were unsalvageable? Yeah. We couldn't yeah. have been yeah. saved. But again, like you say, that's not the situation we're in, praise yeah. God. Yeah. Um, and like, Beth mentioned two weeks ago, the stars were set out in a way that God knew That's right. That's when right. Jesus would come into the world. That's right. And so he clearly knew that Adam yeah. wouldn't eat from the tree of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, you do, there is this sense of urgency, isn't there? So God drove out the man. Mm-hmm. That's not a, mm-hmm. God shows yeah. him the way to the gate yeah, and yeah. says, okay, bye, have a good one. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, why would you want to leave Eden yeah. if you were in this yeah. idyllic, perfect garden mm. with well, I mean Leo's not there anymore Leo's changed slightly <laughs> He's changed. Uh, be, yeah. don't go stroke Leo <laughs> slightly dangerous yeah that that's that's very interesting and it's very reassuring to pair that with what Beth was saying about the stars isn't it mm, yeah that's right I mean it's yeah it's amazing he's got his plan is so clearly already there isn't it with this prophecy of Jesus coming and you know this whole driving out the garden mm. Yes, that is judgment, but it's also, in a sense, the first step in the plan of redemption, yeah. uh, which is amazing. And uh, I think another detail we didn't have time for on Sunday was just this fact that the Lord himself makes clothing for Adam and Eve. Yeah. And again, I was puzzled over that. What, what's, you know, what's that about? Why did God do that? And I think, again, it's slightly speculation. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. It seems to me, in part, he's actually... That's an act of judgment. He's confirming what they did themselves. They covered up because they were ashamed. They, know, they knew they had sinned. They put clothes on. And I think, in a sense, he's confirming that mm. uh, and saying, look, we, yeah, let's not pretend nothing's happened here. Something has happened. Things have changed. But I think there's also a real tenderness when you imagine the Lord God making garments of skin for Adam and Eve. You know, it's almost like a, you know, a child might make tiny clothes for their their dolls, you know, like Isla and Ilsa, our, our little girls, you know, they'll, they'll clothe their little dollies in something and it's very tender and it's quite touching and, and, and the Lord is, is doing this for, for human beings and I think there is also something dignifying about clothing someone and perhaps there is a, a, for, a, a sort of a foretaste there, a sort of pointing forwards to the day when he's going to be clothing people uh, as new creations, clothing them in the righteousness of Christ and so there is this kind of tenderness and prophetic sort of symbol going on um but it's yeah i mean these are the sorts of details that you know these first few chapters of genesis are so rich so rich and uh, we don't necessarily know what to make of some of the details but 
nothing is there by accident. I think we've really got to wrestle with these things and, and see what, what comes out of them because, you know, uh, for those who, who, you know, perhaps read through the Bible once a year or whatever, you, you always see new stuff, you know, and sometimes there's a detail you haven't noticed before. Oh, goodness, what's that about? And um, and that was one of them for me this time around was, was you know, the Lord clothing them. Okay, what's that? What's going on there? It's it's very compassionate and kind, mm. isn't it? The, mm. the God. It, this is again evidence that God is the same in the new and the old. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, there's it, Old Testament isn't the God of anger, yeah. com, uh, opposed to the God of love of the New Testament. He's he's loving and compassionate mm-hmm. throughout the whole, mm-hmm. the whole of His Word, mm. um, which again is shown in verse fifteen, where it says He will bruise and and tread, mm. uh, and that kind of prophecy of of Christ. I wanted to look at that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he will bruise and tread your head underfoot, but you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. Now, my translation might be a bit different from mm-hmm. yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. We don't see Christ fully... F- Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Having not said anything, yeah. So we see we see Christ overcoming sin and death Mm -hmm. on the cross, uh, Mm -hmm. three days resurrected, Mm -hmm. ascended. We don't see um, him crushing Mm -hmm. uh, Satan's head. Is 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 this imagery? Mm -hmm. Is this an example? Is this a poetic way to phrase how Christ is going to overcome? death or yes. at that point was going to so i think to so my understanding of this is you know, he will crush your head and and you will strike his heel is how my translation does it mm. and i think i my understanding is that is a reference to the cross directly where um although chronologically speaking although sort of in time we don't see satan totally finished off yet you know satan's still at work today uh, clearly um, but at the cross, there's a kind of death blow that's dealt to Satan. And we see that, for example, when it, the New Testament speaks of, you know, um, Jesus triumphing over the powers and authorities, making a spectacle of them. You know, the, there's a, a real finality to it. And of course, Jesus says it is finished. Mm. And I think that's what we might call a death blow. You know, so a crushing of the head. You know, you're not going to carry on living much longer once the head's crushed. Mm. But, 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 but by contrast, um, the serpent, it says, strikes the heel. Now, you can strike a heel, and that's not a death blow. Yeah. So although, again, ironically, the, uh, by all appearances, it's the other way around. At the cross, Jesus died. Yeah, that sounds like a death blow. That's, that looks like the end, and it looks like Satan's triumphed. In reality, it was the other way around. That was only, as it were, a striking of the heel, because on the third day, God the Father raised him again, um, and Jesus, uh, and and and, and, though, and therefore we can see that Jesus actually overcame um, Satan and sin and death, and that's where the death blow was really dealt. So we we continue to struggle on today, and until the, the final battle, uh, we're going to continue to struggle. But the the cross and the resurrection dealt the death blow and ensured the, the final victory. Very good uh, answer to a question that wasn't really asked because I couldn't get my words <laughs> out. Um, I just want to emphasise to. Uh, the the congregation who are watching or listening that there are no silly questions mm. um, even if you can't put them into words like myself uh, so do send them in uh, in whatever way you can come see me on a Sunday during the week uh, drop us an email a message on whatever social media you're following us even if you're not part of our congregation and you found us 
do send in a message. Um, there's no silly questions, like I said. And if there are, I'm probably going to ask them myself anyway. Um, I think we're going to move on to what's coming up. Mm -hmm. That was great. great. Thank you so much, Dave, for okay. joining us. Um, so that firstly, a little update. Last Friday, there was no display. Um, you might have guessed why. It was quite windy. <laughs> yes. um, and if you're hearing the wind now, it's still quite windy in Norfolk. Um, we've had nowhere near the damage that the rest of the UK has had. Praise God. Um, but this week, we're back to normal. Half term has ended. I know you homeschooled. There's no real half term. <laughs> half term has ended. So um, our kids groups are back. Tuesday and Thursdays, our daycare centre is happening. Daycare. Our um, Day centre? Day centre. Mm -hmm. Daycare. Day centre is happening, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, today, nothing happens on a Monday. No, chill. This will be out. Yeah. I'm, if Monday's not a good day for this to come out, let me know. Uh, suggest days. If it's later in the week, I can do that. Uh, Wednesday, we have our cafe, 10 till 2. I'm still learning the new coffee machine. And then after that, we have our homework club. Thursday, as well as the day centre, we have our kids groups that are back, 5 till 6 for the smaller ones, 6.30 till 7.30 for the teenagers. And Friday we have our prayer meeting, three till vaguely 6, 6.30. Um, do join us for the prayer meeting. Um, it's the engine room of the church, so it's good to be a part of the driving force of, of what we do. And this Sunday, Claire is preaching on Eden, apparently, as, mm -hmm. as, as we uh, have pushed her to do. Um, Claire's preaching on the next few chapters of Genesis, because she's got a much bigger uh, theme or pool to pull from for next week's episode so send your questions in um, get in contact and um, thank you for watching thank you for listening we we see you watching and listening online so uh, thank you so much thank you Dave for coming on pleasure thank you. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time I have been Gwil I didn't actually say my name at the beginning <laughs> but I'm Gwil if you didn't know already thank you for listening and we'll see you soon